the first is that family meeting will come right after the sermon. If you're new here or if you have somewhere to go, we're not taking you any later into the Sunday, but especially if you're a visitor, if you're here for the first time, we're open and transparent with everything about our church, so we welcome you to stay here for that too. But if you feel like it's a little too much, um, that's fine. Uh, feel free to go out. We'll give a little pause before we enter into if you need to go. Um, we won't hold anything against you, but you will have to come back next week if you go, so sorry about that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is I didn't want this Sunday to get away from us without us at least acknowledging uh, Happy Black History Month to everyone. Yeah, obviously that is not a month that I get to intimately celebrate, um, but it is one that every American, every person celebrates with people who share that heritage and that lineage, and we don't want to, um, we want to celebrate that. You know, I love how in Revelations, when John gets a glimpse of heaven, he looks around, and the thing that surprises him is that there are people of every tribe and every tongue there. And so if you're not about diversity, you might not be about the things that are important to God. And we also don't want to just be token in our diversity, but we want to celebrate it and... Um, hear stories from other people. And so this month, we will dive more into that. We just unfortunately can't do that today. Um, but happy Black History Month, and we will celebrate that as a month, as a church. Amen? And so let's get into today's word. To start, I wanted to talk about a story of when I was in college, of when I went to college not expecting to find Jesus, not really having it be a priority in my life which is kind of funny because I went to a Christian school, um, but it was not high on my priority list. I wouldn't even say it was top five. Finding Jesus was not top five on the things that I wanted out of college. I wanted a pretty typical college experience. Uh, I met Anne, my wife, the second day in August, the second day of school in August in 2005, and I made that beautiful woman wait for me for two months. And so all my priorities were out of whack in that time. Uh, and even though I was in a time where I wasn't pursuing Jesus, uh, somehow he found me. I remember uh, there was a worship night going on at the school, and I went because my roommate asked me to go. I didn't want to be there, and I went half-heartedly, but I went. And all of a sudden, I had this desire in my heart that I couldn't ignore to go back to my room, to go back to my dorm, and to make a decision that night. I, had, I really felt in my spirit. I did not hear God's audible voice, but I knew that I had to go back to my room, and I knew that that night I had to make a decision about if I was going to stand for Jesus or if I was not. Now, I don't think that that, was, that would have been the only or the last opportunity in my life, but I knew my assignment for that night was really clear. Was I going to stand for Jesus or, what, or was I not? And that's really the question of today's passage. We're going to be in Mark 8 again, like we have for seemingly 18 years now. But um, it's this one question that we're addressing, is what do I stand for? What did Jesus teach his disciples to stand for? And so we're going to be in Mark 8. Let's read this together, and then we'll pray. I love this short little story, this three verses here. Um, it goes so deep and so impactful in the life of a believer. So let me read this real quick. So we're in Mark 8, 27 to 30. It says, And Jesus went out 
on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. All right, let's pray real quick. Jesus, uh, we ask that you be in the room. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here. Pray that you would do your work amongst us, Lord. You would do your work, your intended work, through the reading of your word, Lord. Lord, we trust you. We love you. Please show us about what it means to stand and to stand strong in the right things. And Lord, um, yeah, be kind and teach us today. Move our hearts. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're asking this question again. What do I stand for, right? And so we have to break this story down a little bit into some of the most interesting characters in this story. So we see that Jesus intentionally brings his disciples to this one place, and then he starts teaching them. He asks them a question in this place, very deliberate. Everything here is so perfectly deliberate. So the first thing we have to talk about is Caesarea Philippi. I went there in 2015. This is a slight uh, picture. Yolanda was there with me. Um, it's just this beautiful place. It's on the base of Mount Hermon. It's this place that everywhere you look, there's some ancient temple or shrine or where a sacred tent used to be or something like that. And so Caesarea Philippi becomes such an important character in understanding this story. If we're talking about what do you stand for, Caesarea Philippi was a city that very clearly stood for everything. Now, the reason why this city was so important was because at the base of the mountain, a little bit to the left here, there was a big spring of water that comes out of the ground, and that in Jesus' day, that was one of the main sources of the Jordan River. And so wherever there's water in the ancient world, wherever there's this sign of life gushing out from the ground, then people said, oh, there's a God who lives here, or, oh, there's someone special here, we have to find out who that was. And so Caesarea Philippi became this city over the course of its entire history that stood for any god, any empire. It had multiple names. It was just this place that really like embodies, if you talk about the spirit of a place, it's chaos. Just to talk about its names really quick, and these are just a couple. At some point in Caesarea Philippi's history, it went by the name of Neronius. The region was called Panion. It was also Caesarea Philippi in Jesus' day. Later on in its history, it went to uh, Panias, which later today is known as Bunias, which is kind of lazy. If you're going to change the name, you should at least change more than just one letter. <laughs> if we're talking about the empires that occupied this place, Tony, if you can flip to that slide, uh, the Greeks, the Romans, the Arcadians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, Pretty much, if there was a group of more than five guys who wanted to take this city, it probably would have been taken. It was over everyone who, was held, who held any significance in this region at one point controlled this city. And because of that, because so many cultures over the time, so many cultures put their footprint on, their thumbprint on this city, you can expect to see temples and shrines pop up all the time in this one city. Because if there was life here, then it must belong to someone. And so all of these cultures and all these people and all these times were trying to figure out who it was. And so Zeus had a temple here. A Roman god named Nemesis, sounds scary, had a 
had a temple here. There was even a tomb of the sacred goats. I don't know what that is all about, but that is very interesting. But there was, so if we talk about standing, the city of Caesarea Philippi, the culture here, the life here, is that anything goes. And what we're going to see pretty quickly is that when you actually stand for everything, you actually stand for nothing. That when you meet, when everything is fair game, chaos usually reigns. And so let's talk about a second character that comes here that we don't see in Scripture but would have been there at the day. In Jesus' day, the one main God, the God who controlled Caesarea Philippi, the longest in its history was this, God, was this Greek God named Pan. And Pan, is talk about being confused, talk about meaning everything, Pan was all over the place. Here we see that uh, in one of his bios from an ancient philosopher, that Pan was the god of isolated rural areas. I don't know what that means. Uh, he was the god of music. He was the god of goat herding. He was the god of hunting, herding in general, sexual and spiritual possession, taking a step up here, and victory in battle. Even Pan's very nature was really confused. He was half man and half goat. And so he really perfectly embodies why Jesus brought his disciples up here to this city at this point in time. Because when you stand for everything, you really stand for nothing. One of the things that we mentioned here is that victory in battle, that he was the God for victory. If you were going to a battle, the Greeks would pray for him. And you know why? Because he had a secret weapon in his hand. Pan would go to the, to the battlefield and he would spread something that we know today as panic and pandemonium, and he would physically hurt his enemies through pandemics. And we see here that the prefix of pan in the Greek means everything or all. And Jesus here is really, really intentionally confronting this one idea that if you, what do you stand for? Do you stand for everything or do you stand for not, or in terms stand for nothing? Let's go back to this text really quick, but let's not go to the Mark account. We're going to go to the Matthew version of this because the Matthew account as, takes another step and teaches us a little bit more about what Jesus was doing here. It'll be up on the screen, or you can just follow, listen to me when I read. And this is Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, which that is really important. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Oops, sorry. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So I love when Jesus is teaching us about what do we stand for. He brings us to, he brought his disciples to a place of chaos, to a place that totally embodied the spirit of the day, whatever goes, of you don't have to belong to me or not. And he does two things to him. 
these two to his disciples, and this is so important. The first is that he asks them who they think he is. You know, when we're deciding about our faith, when we're deciding about how we live our lives, when we're deciding about where we put our hearts and our souls, the first step is to, you got to see who Jesus is. you got to define that for your life. I love this so much. He says, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter replies. And so the second thing that we see here is that Jesus, when he sees that Peter, Simon at the time, when Simon answers correctly, you know what Jesus does for him? He gives him a name, and he's, in an essence, giving him his identity. That when we see, when we belong to Jesus, that he's the one who tells us who we really are. He's the one who gets to tell us what we were made for because he was there making us. That he's the one who is full of love enough to tell us who we belong to and who we are, who we were meant to be. I love this so much. Lately, we've been talking a lot about what Jesus does and how he confronts chaos. And one of the ways that he can do it for you and for me and as a church is by, one, reminding us who we are, reminding us that we belong to him. So many of the metaphors used in scripture are about family, right, or adoption, and it's because Jesus is always constantly reminding us that we have a father who loves us. That's why we, we pray the prayer of our Father, because that is the relationship that we have to him. And the second is that when you find your Jesus, when you answer that question, who do you stand for? When that answer is secure, then Jesus starts to tell you who you are. Starts to tell you of all the things that you were meant to be. Of if sin was never here, of all of the beautiful things that you would be able to experience. All of the freedom that he meant for you to have. Jesus is a good, good Savior. You know, when, when Peter here calls him the Christ, the Christ is such a loaded statement. It meant that Jesus was the anointed king, the one that everyone was waiting for, the one that everyone had this hole in their hearts waiting for, and that Jesus was this anointed king. I also love that he renames Peter out of all of his disciples, and he renames him Peter, if you don't know, his original name was, in the Hebrew, it was Simon, and in the Aramaic, it was Cephas. And yet, Jesus calls him Peter, which means rock, or this foundational rock that can't be moved. And that if you know anything about Peter, you know that he is everything but a rock. This guy is crazy, oftentimes. Next, the very next story that we're going to be talking about yesterday, Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus calls him Satan. In... When, he, when the soldiers go to capture Jesus, Peter cuts the ear off of one of the soldiers. And ev left and right, Peter is just putting his foot in his mouth all the time. But yet, when Jesus gives him the name, it's not about Peter. It's about pointing back to who Jesus is. That he is our rock. That he is our foundation. You know, there are times when Jesus speaks identity over you, and it's because he knows you, and he made you, and he knows what you look like when you're free. But then other times, he also names you to remind you of who he is. That he was Peter's rock. That he was Peter's foundation. That anywhere that he could ever go, Jesus would be there with him, and providing for him what he couldn't provide for himself. Guys, Peter was a mess, often. But then when he met Jesus, his life was changed. When he received the Holy Spirit, 
he looked a lot more like a Peter than he did before he met the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so today, in our family meeting, we have to know this. We have to answer these three questions. I wanted to give these to you so that you can mold us, or we don't have the luxury of time today, but we have three questions for you to take home with you and wrestle through this week. The first question is, who do you say Jesus is? That answer has to be pretty locked in. That answer has to be unmovable, just like the rock. Who do you say that Jesus is? I like how here he first asks them about who do people say that he is, but he doesn't really care about that so much. He cares more about who they say that he is. Who do you say that Jesus is in your life? The second question is, what name or identity does Jesus speak over you? You know, what does God see about you that you can't see yourself? Now, I think it's so interesting people who have eating disabilities sometimes physically can't even really see what they look like in the mirror because all they see is whatever they're putting into their image, the shame or the ugliness or whatever. And yet God is the one who really sees us who sees how we should be without sin and without death, and he calls that and speaks that into our soul and strengthening us and making us more like him every day. And then the last question is, what do you stand for? It's this whole summation of the whole morning. What do you stand for? Is Jesus the one that you stand for? Is the Holy Spirit the one who guides you? Is the Father the one who's calling you and inviting you into his family? I wish we had a lot more time. I, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I wish we had more time to talk about how it is that this guy knows us so perfectly, about how this Messiah came here and let heaven go to come and tell us who we are, to remind us of who he is. This is really the answer, the questions that we need to be wrestling with for the rest of our lives and always be reminding us when we see that we're not standing for Jesus anymore. Or in seasons where we are, we need to start running. And so that transitions us pretty nicely into the family meeting. Again, if, if you're here visiting and if you want to go, we're going to play a video in a second. Feel free to leave during the video. No condemnation, but you do have to come back next week if you do. But we as a church...